Hey, let's get started this morning. <laughs> I was invited to join the sitters, so it reminded me of uh, Bible times. The teacher would often sit, and everyone else got to stand up in the synagogue, so uh, we'll give it a try. Clark might be a little taller, though, so I, I don't know. If you, if you just hear a voice from this side of the room, I'm over here. <laughs> uh, let's just press on with some questions, and... Uh, I don't know that we're going to get them all this week, so I think Lord willing will kind of wrap up most of them next week, even though the VBS will finish. And so we'll have one more week of questions. Uh, the following week, uh, Carrie and I will be out of town, but then when I get back, I want to tackle one last question that's probably a little bigger, and I want to look in the, the Word a little bit to answer it, because uh, somebody's, one of the final questions was the, the whole big idea of uh, do our babies go to heaven when they die? Uh, and I know some of you are uh, pretty closely acquainted to that kind of grief. And so we want to look at that biblically with a little bit more time than just a quick discussion. So a couple of question and answer sessions left. But today we press on with a question or really a, a topic um, regarding parent responsibility for the behavior of their children in public, so both at church, um, just other places, you know, when you're out shopping, if they go to school, uh, what is, how do we address parent responsibility for the behavior of their children at church and in public? Uh, so it's a, it's a broad topic, uh, we'll give a few suggested replies here, and then if you have a specific question, feel free to ask. Uh, McClurg's, any concept on or ideas on parental responsibility of our children? Um, so um, when I was looking at this, first I was looking just to see, so does the Bible really, I mean, we kind of assume that parents are responsible for the behavior of their children, but does the Bible really speak to it directly? So looking at a couple things, um, Deuteronomy 21, 18 is where uh uh, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and mother shall take him and bring him to the elders of the city. Um, but anyway, it, it's pretty clear from that passage that the parents are considered responsible for how, how their child ended up, in a sense. Um, uh, at least they're, they're responsible for for what's happened with this stubborn and rebellious son. Um, Proverbs 22.6 just says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he should not depart from it, which I think we're all familiar with. But again, the, the responsibility to train your children. Um, and finally, um, looking at 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, when it talks about the, the qualifications for a, an overseer, uh, one of the things that's mentioned is he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So the man is held responsible for what's happening with his young children. Um, so there is, I think, an understanding that a parent is responsible for how their children are behaving, especially, I think, in the younger years. Um, Obviously, at some point, they leave the house and they're, they're on their own to make their own decisions and do their own things. But um, so just to establish that, first of all, so, so what does that mean? That they're responsible? It means you're responsible. So, you know, if, um, uh, if the child is, is after the service, is out playing in the middle of the street, who's responsible for that happening? It's the parent of that child, right? That, they're the ones who are responsible for how their child is behaving. So they kind of need to be paying attention what's happening with my child. Um, certainly, you would expect other people to step in if you see somebody else's child out in the middle of the street. Oh, it's their problem. You know? but, um, but ultimately, it's the parent who's responsible. Um, the parent's responsible for how their child is behaving in the service. Um, and if they're being a distraction to others so that they're not able to worship the Lord because somebody's child is, is creating so much attention for themselves that all attention is drawn to that child. Well, the parent's responsible for, for that happening. Um, so 
we as parents have a great responsibility for how our children behave in the church and also when we're out in public. Um, so I made the comment uh, one of the other times that parenting should be proactive more than reactive. And this is definitely a place where parents proactively should be teaching their children how to behave um, so that as they're in public, their children are, are behaving well. Um, so uh, uh, I asked Dawn to share a couple of examples as well. So One of the thoughts that um, we thought of, even in the church, is if you're not teaching your kids right after the church service to be mindful of gray hair, walkers, crutches, it's very likely they're running right into those. And this is a really great opportunity to teach them respect and teach them carefulness. It sometimes can get tricky because right after a church service, your little ones have just sat, maybe, still, and you feel a little bit guilty. It's like, oh, now it's playtime. Okay, you can run now. Now you can go. It's like, well, not yet. You know, in libraries and schools and places, you have inside voices. You have inside behavior. And there should still be that inside voice, inside behavior within the church, even post-service. So just that thought. The other thought was to be present as a parent. You don't get little mini vacations for long, long, long years. As you're training your children, it's not you come to church and some teenager is going to watch your kids for a while. That may happen. But you're this parent. You don't get that little mini vacation for yourself. You're, you're on task no matter where you are. You're always, you're always present. Be a present parent. Um, Clark wanted me to talk to you a little bit about one idea the Lord gave us that helped us a lot in public matters. We had a little girl that when she was being um, potty trained found a fascination about finding all the other public bathrooms no matter where we went, suddenly she needed to go to the bathroom. Well, that wasn't really what we wanted to do, was just find all the public bathrooms. We wanted to get in a store and get out. So we decided we were going to, and the other kids were needing to stand close to the buggy or whatever. So a couple of different times, we would make a shopping slash no shopping trip. In our minds, what we were doing is testing Let's go shopping at Walmart. So the rule is, we all go to the bathroom before. We're not going to go there. And you have to hold on to the buggy, all of you who are big enough to walk, holding on to the buggy. The first hand that let go, we would say, oh, we got to go home. Like, why? You didn't hold on to the buggy. Like, but, and we might have a buggy half full of groceries or something. But it was in our head that the reason we were going there was to train them to hold on. We didn't raise our voice. We didn't remind. It was, let's go home. It's like, we had one little spanking. It wasn't a big deal. It's like, we're going right back in the car. Go right back. We're going to go shopping. We've got to go finish going shopping. Well, that's a big job, right? Well, but it didn't happen very often. I think we took two times to do that, and we really never had a trouble because the kids knew this was their spot, and the older they got, then that person could leave it's like, okay, the buggy's right here. You go get that and come back. They'd go get that and come back. We didn't have kids running through the store, but it wasn't because we were great parents. It was because we proactively, it was Clark's thought, be proactive. What do you expect them to do? We'll show them. How important is it? We'll make sure that you're taking time. You know, you're inconveniencing yourself, basically. I would encourage you to root your instruction to your kids in, in biblical virtue. Um, I've, I've been around parents even recently where I hear them saying things that I, I find myself thinking, boy, I wish I would have said it that way instead of just saying, hey, when we go to the store, you better, you know, straighten up. Or, I mean, there's a place, I guess, to do that quickly. Um, but I, I, I was reminded that it would have been better to say things like, hey, God, God tells us right here in Philippians that we're supposed to honor others as more important than ourselves. Not because they're better people or something, because, but because our spirit of humility and preferring one another, 
that, that's how we should do it. So you might be able to tell your kids, you know, don't swing from the chandeliers at grandma's house and, you know, don't color on the walls at church. And there, there might be practical things you have to say, but root that in a, a simple scripture that you can share with them where, where God has said, be kind to one another, or God has said, prefer one another. Um, that, that puts you in your place. You're just the messenger, uh, and it puts God in that place of authority. Uh, I would say that a child's behavior in public is an outflow of the general pattern in the home. Uh, we've all been in the store, and our kid acts up, and we're like, oh, well, they, you know, he's never done this before. Well, of course he has. Uh, you've just, you're just usually in a place where you don't feel all that peer pressure, and you're, you're not embarrassed by it. It just happens in the home, and you kind of just respond with something. So realize just that we need to be honest with ourselves and recognize uh, we need to be really consistent. It's not just when you go to church, you better behave. It's like, well, they're probably getting away with a lot at home. And I, I say a general pattern because all of our kids can pull off a real doozy of a choice, you know, at church or in public, and, and we deal with it. But generally stop and think, you know, if they're talking like that to their teacher or to the grandparents and you're embarrassed by it, it's probably because they're talking to you like that. So figure out if that pattern is developing at home because um, generally unruly without kind of rules or boundaries in public is because they're unruly at home. Uh, Roy? Can you give some practical guidance when a child is disobedient in public, some practical do's and don'ts and advice? I mean, it's probably not a wise idea in my eyes to uh, spank a child in the middle aisle uh, we never had children act up in public, so I'll defer. <laughs> I can remember one of those moments being just like mortified as one of our kids in Hobby Lobby like just went ballistic and always the hardest child to discipline anyway, but it was a complete meltdown and it was like purely self-preservation mode. We were just getting out of the store as quickly as possible because there was just nothing we were saying that was working, and it was two of us working on one of them. And um, so I don't have a lot of experience of like, hey, here's the perfect way to do this. Um, but I would agree. Like in the moment, we were just like, okay, this isn't working, you know. And it might not be an immediate once and for all fix. Even it, we just realized all right, we need to regroup and strategize about a, a longer-term plan here to help because any one incident really probably isn't the problem. Uh, points to that pattern. So I don't know, practically, we weren't real good with like what weapons to carry in the purse to use for the stick and stuff. So it, we probably weren't prepared well for that. And of course, it's not like, you know, Carrie spent all her days out and about either in some of those hard years, but... But I, I think that's probably the best thing is to go. <laughs> if you're in public, just get out. You, you can't deal with them. I mean, they're, if you're, they're already ratcheted up high, your best thing is to quietly walk over, pick them up, get them in the car seat, let them do what they're doing. You can't stop them, right, when they're in the middle of that meltdown. And you'd have to deal with it at home. There's no public, you know, put a cap on it. Side issue, and this is not me, I think Caitlin and David came up with this. Uh, don't call it a paddle and don't call it a spanking. Call it correction and call it an instrument of correction. So you're not walking out with a kid yelling, I don't want to be spanked. Yeah, I maybe call it like a lollipop or something. <laughs> if your kid happens to say it, people will be like, wow, that kid of yours really eats healthy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I would suggest that, you know, it's, it's not wrong to even communicate to your children that in some places you go, the boundaries might be even stricter than at home. You know, our kids probably get away with a few things at home that I really, well, grandma's just not going to let it fly. Uh, so they might stand on our couch sometimes, you know, because we're not real consistent about it or something, but you know, at grandma's house, you don't put your feet on the couch. So, and that's fine for them to know that, hey, 
you might do that at home, but, you know, we don't do that at church, or you better not do that at school. That's why your teacher got on you. Um, so don't be afraid of communicating those boundaries. All of our kids from a really young age are completely able to learn, oh, this is my house, and this is grandma's house or someone else's house. Um, so ask, ask your children to, to start learning and understanding that. Uh, and I would say that this whole question uh, sets us up for this trap of, of being embarrassed as parents and, you know, perhaps reacting wrongly in the correction or discipline. So just know that a wild child or the tantrum incident at the store doesn't automatically imply poor parenting. Um, it, a wild child simply means that parents should be keenly and probably humbly aware that they have their hands full. Um, and so you just take the next steps of dealing with it as you should as a loving parent. But I think keenly and humbly aware would mean you're attentive to your child's actions. And I've seen, I've seen a couple parents that, that are even here in the room, uh, right in church because of something, and somebody brought their child to them and said they were doing this, and the parent just said, all right, you're going to stand right here. And there was that sinking look on the child's face like, great, everyone else is with their friends, and I'm standing next to mom and dad. And all our kids know how long some of those conversations can go after church. But it, it, it was just the reminder, okay, parents need to be attentive. So, yeah, we can all say, oh, we had one of those kids. But that just means you need to know where they are, and sometimes they don't get to be far away from you. Um, I think keenly and humbly aware means you're open to help. Uh, you're not defensive when someone says, hey, your kid's doing this. You know, you might not be surprised, but you go and deal with it. And uh, so don't, don't think that because your child sins or is even just kind of being overly silly or something like that, that you're a bad parent. Um, that judgment is reserved for how you respond to your child's behavior. Uh, that response then would fall into the category of good or bad parenting. Uh, and if your hands are full... Uh, do a lot of praying and, and keep talking to people. There, you know, there's a collective wisdom here of a lot of years of child rearing that something in there might be just one of those little tidbits that's helpful. Um, Clark wisely pointed out some of the scriptures that just say, yes, this is kind of our job. But Roy's point is, hey, how practically did that look? Well, it, there's a lot of different ways it looked here in the room. So just just keep talking and trying to find that wisdom. Any last questions there? Uh, yes, Heidi. I have this kind of a last thought. Um, my friend works out of the child's um, hotline. If you want to call because you think someone's abusing, they're going to call her and you're going to talk to him. Um, so I asked her, I was like, okay, what can I legally do and what is someone going to call on me for? And um, she said, spanking is actually legal in Missouri. Um, if you use your hand and not an implement, and if you are not leaving marks, they don't take calls for that because it's legal. So they're going to be looking for, okay, this child has legal bruises, this child is, you know, pulling back because they're being hurt or something like that. So actually, if you spank your child in public and somebody called them, they wouldn't take it unless there was another concern with that. Yeah, and, that, and you can probably find information like that that could be helpful just to know, okay, should I even try to take them into a bathroom? And I, I would say probably just retreat. And more often than not, though, you know what this is like. You see bad kids at Walmart, and it's just another bad kid. But when you see the parents screaming at them and yanking them by the arm, then you're thinking, like, I don't know kind of give the kid a pass like they're they're in the stage where they they're going to do that and they need correction but the parents should know better like so I think you really need to be thinking of am I walking in the spirit as a parent especially in that moment when all eyes are on me because my child's bad how am I going to respond um, and if you're under control you know even if your kid was crying as you're walking out the door saying I don't want a spanking most people are probably not thinking that's a horrible parent uh, if they see you responding as a normal parent should. All right, question number nine. 
What is the proper attitude or balance for teaching your children to respect or listen to other voices of authority in their lives? Grandparents, Sunday school teachers, school teachers, adults in the church. Uh, It's a big question. It has a lot to do with how you parent, but it also has a lot to do about uh, safety and our concerns for our children in our culture. So we'll, we'll try to navigate a little here. Uh, so the proper attitude or balance for teaching your children to respect other authority other than just you as mom or dad. Any thoughts on that one? Um, so again, just trying to think of a couple of verses that would talk about it. Um, Leviticus 19.32 says, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Um, Proverbs 16.31, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. So I think the overall principle would be, would be respect those who are older than you, um, and that a child should deal in respect with those who are older than them, especially the older gray head, as this speaks of, but I think in general, the authority um, above them, that the child is responding in respect to that person. Um, Adam kind of brought up some of the dangers in our society. So I, and I think um, Don and I were kind of talking about this, you know, if, if you could teach your child that if an adult tries to take them aside and say, I have a secret to tell you, don't tell anyone else, or let me show you something, but before I do, don't, don't tell anybody. To teach your child, if you ever hear that, you come to me and tell me immediately. Don't, don't keep secrets with adults. Um, even if that means you're spoiling a birthday surprise, I think for the, for the safety of your child in, in the environment that we live in, you know, it's important to put some boundaries for the child to be able to, to understand. Yeah, if, an, if another adult is trying to tell me a secret, I need to go tell my folks something bad is happening here. And it may be, you know, the person doesn't have any nefarious intent in doing so, but for the safety of the child. Um, and I think the other adult would certainly understand, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, didn't realize. Um, so that's one, one thought there. But overall, I think we need to teach our children that they do respect and honor those other authorities in their lives. If grandma tells you to stop doing something, then you stop because grandma said so, even though I wasn't in the room, and to back up that person. So if your child defies grandma and grandma comes to you later and says, you know, I asked Johnny to do this and he said no, that you don't take the child side and say, well, grandma, what are you asking him to do that for? We never do that in our house. But instead, no, grandma asked you to do this. She was taking care of you. You need to obey what she asked you to do. So those are, I guess, some thoughts I have on it. I think it's right for children to learn about derived authority because after all, your authority is derived. So if you won't teach them to, to listen to other authorities, you're teaching them not to listen to you because your authority comes from God. And so this, this principle of where does the authority come from is important. Um, after all, your primary task is to point them to God's authority, to show them his law, to show them his word, his truth. Um, and, and you just won't be able to teach them about the authority of the elderly, the, those you honor, or the authority of the church, or the authority of local government, if uh, you undermine this, this idea that there are other authorities than just mom and dad. Uh, yeah, Roy, jump in there. Uh, I wanted to tie two things. One of them was about where your kids are when they're here, and Clark's thought of uh, telling secrets. Uh, statistically, Pedophiles seek out places where there are a lot of kids and they have access to them. We are such a place, statistically it is likely that there is somebody in our midst who is struggling with that or not struggling with it and just looking for an opportunity. So be aware of where your children are. This is a place, I mean, most of us were in a ministry where a man who was of high respect 
abused, I think it was between 15 and 30 kids. It happens. You, you are, in the end, responsible for your children. So there, there's, there's a lot of danger. There's a lot of uh, sin and sinful behavior out there. And yet somehow we still have to raise children that learn two things, authority and trust. So if we don't start laying this foundation with our kids that they can trust other people and other authorities and even you, then we're, we're crippling them relationally for the rest of their lives. So they need to trust you when you say to them, it's going to be okay. You know, you're, you're trying to get your kid to go to the first day of school or meet the teacher night, and they're hiding behind you and won't talk to the teacher and give their name. You need to shove them out there and walk them into this path of, listen, if mom says it's okay, this is an authority, or you can trust them, then you're going to have to stretch yourself a little bit. Uh, most of us, you know, were left at the nursery kicking and screaming, and our mom said we would be fine, and we were. So there's that sense of, okay, I'm going to have to take it from somebody I trust that this is a safe thing, and they think it's okay for me. Uh, our kids aren't going to like new things sometimes, just like we don't, and yet they need to learn to stretch themselves in this idea of trusting others. Ultimately, you're going to have a hard time explaining to them, trust in the Lord with all your heart, if you never ask them to trust anybody, but only when they're completely comfortable and safe will they ever do anything. Um, so you're just not helping them. You're, you're not being the good parent you think you are if you're going to shelter and baby them so they never have to know risk and trust. Now, I say all that in the context of what was already raised. You know, as a parent, your wisdom is to discern what are safe places, who are safe people. Um, and and to, to Roy's point, you can't do that perfectly. So if you think... You can keep your child safe from any danger out there. You're mistaken. And if, and if you let that fear cripple you, then you will cripple your children and they will not respond well to authority and they will not trust. They won't marry well. They won't parent well because they will never understand that trust is inherently laced with, with risk because we're dealing with sinful people. Uh, only the Lord is trustworthy. So, yes, as parents, you know... You, you wisely consider, has a church thought through some safeguards and boundaries to make sure children are safe? Uh, is the school doing a good job on, you know, making sure people are, you know, always protected by the right safeguards? And, and anymore, that's, you know, that's kind of the standard. You should be able to quickly discern or ask about policies that protect both the welfare of the child and the reputation of people working. Um, so generally, you have two sides that are very concerned. Uh, parents don't want their kids harmed, and everyone else also is concerned about the children, nor do we want adults falsely accused because somehow they were stuck alone with a child. You know, and so we try to put policies and boundaries in place to, to protect everyone involved. Uh, but when those policies are there, and when those efforts are being made, and when you can discern that you know, my kid's not going to like it, but this is a safe place. It might be wise to, to stretch them a little bit, to teach them there are other authorities you listen to, and there, there are other people you can trust. Um, and all of that's going to take wisdom and faith. Wisdom to make sure you're, you're careful and, and safe, and faith to make sure you're not crippled by fear. Um, you need both. And, and I think the next step for you might be obviously wrestle with that before the Lord, but then ask other people, do I have the right balance here? Am I too fearful? Am I, am I too carefree? You know, should I, am I naive? Should I be more discerning? Uh, and, and just get their input. I mean, it, it's constantly changing as your kids get older. Uh, you're instructing and teaching and preparing and it just gets different, but at each stage, just be asking folks, hey, what did you do here? Are we getting this right? Are we 
the helicopter parent or are we the hands-off parent uh, and, and take their input and make the adjustments. Any questions there? There's a lot there. Uh, let me start with Jim here and then we'll get Ethan. Uh, I think the most important thing is there that you have a conversation with your children and you tell them anybody touched them inappropriately or wants them to touch them inappropriately that you come to them immediately and, and let your parents know the text going on. Uh, I think that's important that you, you let them know that. That way they, they don't have to listen to me because he's really right. Uh, you don't hear a whole lot about it than anything but the Catholic Church, but there's been a lot of sexual abuse Yes. No, sexual abuse is not a Catholic problem or a church problem or it's a humanity problem. Um, and so we just have to recognize that wisdom calls for measures that would protect um, everyone involved. And uh, well, I'll, when we conclude this little series of the q and I'll, I'll try to, I'll probably set up a table and put a bunch of resources out there that I have in, in the library. Um, just so you can get some ideas, because there, there really are a lot of practical helps. Like, I don't remember being taught as a kid, you know, not to keep secrets. Um, but studies have shown that, that that's a simple manipulation of a child to, be, to confide, to, to draw them into that kind of trust and such. And, and so things like that are just really helpful. And, you know, certain touching and, you know, it was long after I was a child, you know, even like the, the bathing suit areas became zones where if anyone touches you there, you need to tell mom and dad. There, there's lots of practical things like that, and you've probably heard those things. Um, that just, just file that all under the, the wisdom that is needed to, to prepare our kids uh, to, to be wise and safe. Let me get Ethan and then Gary. How do you protect your kids? So the idea that have your kids underneath other people's authority, teacher, grandparent. What do you do with the grandparent that is teaching your kids foolish things? Like, you come from this perspective of if your grandparent's a believer, I think that was assumed, maybe that was assumed, it wasn't stated. But what do you do when they're not a believer and you have multiple sets of grandparents who aren't believers and you're not always around, but you hear about it later on? Yeah, that's a really good question because I, yeah, I think we have been talking more in the assumption of you know, our experience and not, you know, what everybody's experience might be. So many of you have extended family that you might be around a lot and they're not believers. There's some really unique or really bad influences that could occur then. Um, I don't know, any wisdom there? I think you're still the parent. Um, and if the Lord puts a check in your spirit that this is not a good place for your kid to have an overnight even if it's the uncle or the grandparent, you just say no. God's given you a home and a bed. That's your best spot to be. You can visit grandma and grandpa when you're around. You're, you're, you have the responsibility for that precious life. And even if it might hurt grandma and grandpa's feelings, it's worth hurting their feelings. You're, you're respectful. But if they're actually leading your children into something that your conscience stands up with a red flag going, whoa, that wasn't right. It is your job to pull that back and say, I'm sorry. We can't, we can't invite our kids to do that with you. So in, in your purview, you've got to stand protector of your children. That's your spot. Grandparents or sister or whoever, that you're protector, not them. So how can you... Tell them they're your, you need to respect them as an authority figure, but you don't listen to everything they say. Do you see the, the balance? I think what you said is really good. You are the parent, you are the be-all, end-all for their authority, but. <clears throat> so my thought, my thought is this kind of like, if you're going into grandma and grandpa's house and you don't trust this house, you're not leaving them, right? You're there. So if grandma says, can you unload the dishwasher or can you help grandma go pick beans in the garden or whatever? And they don't want to. Yeah, you're going to do that. If they're being asked to do something wrong, then you'll stand for them. 
and you give them an explanation, maybe later, well, mom and dad don't agree with grandma and grandpa, or whatever. But you're still, you got to finesse with wisdom in front of them. Anyway. You know, it might be like, you know, you might let your kids watch a Disney movie and then explain, you know, there were some things in there that mom and dad aren't real happy with the way they presented, or you might, be at, you might have to strike that balance with, you know, when they spent a couple hours at grandma's in the afternoon and the TV was on or whatever, and it, or they heard language or, you know, I, I'm trying to just imagine the scenarios of the stuff you wouldn't want your kids exposed to. Um, and somehow you're teaching them that biblical love and honor means that I treat them well. But the Bible also says things about what pleases the Lord, what we would call holy or right. And in our home, we think that's important too. So, so we don't talk that way or we don't watch those things. Um, I don't know. You, you started to say something else. Was there more to the Oh, I scenario? think what you just said, right? Like, respecting authority, if they say, please don't jump on the couch, of course. But when they're like, actually, there are multiple gods, and this is what they are. And you're like, okay, well, right. you can respect part of their authority, but not other parts. And that's just very hard to, to have yeah. a four-year-old kind of distinguish that. And you continue talking with them, right. but those are hard. I think our hope there is what's true. Uh, and what, tr- what, what God's truth is to us is we do treat them well and we love them, but God's truth is also they got it wrong on that and in some way communicating that. Carrie and Paul. Um, I just had kind of a piggyback on a couple of these thoughts of, and it even kind of went with that, the continual conversation and age-appropriate conversation, just like as parents we want to little by little teach them about, you know, God's gift of sex and marriage we don't throw it all, you know, at once. So with safety and with um, trust and all these these kinds of nuances of um, other authorities, I think if we are just constantly having our scope and sequence of let's let's talk about it at this, but not. I think sometimes as parents we we feel this fear. And we want to make sure they're safe. So we might say we just need to be careful not to say too much too soon. But I think if we establish that conversation, that openness, they were over at a friend's house and you, you know, even as a little play date or something, and you're having these little conversations that aren't putting, did you, were you, did you ever get asked something, you know, and not putting pressure on them, but having the conversation, then as they're older and there's a lot more freedom and independence, there's already been that established connection with parents that even more, more conversation can come up and there has been that freedom to talk about. Yeah, I grew up spending a lot of time at other people's houses. I had a couple of close friends that the kind of families that I guess if mom and dad had been off the scene, I probably would have been handed off to those families to be raised in. Um, and, you know, by God's grace, lifelong relationships and sweet families and all. We get married and have kids and I just didn't feel any real compulsion to let my kids stay at other people's houses much. It's happened a few times, but it, you know, and I guess there have even been times where we had this thought like, well, we let it happen once there. What if somebody doesn't like it if we don't? And I was like, well, I don't care if they don't like it. Like, like we're in charge. Like we have to do what we want to do with, have to do with our kids. So, you know, you, you feel the complete liberty to say based on, what I see in scripture, I need to do this for my family. And, and at that point, it's not dishonoring even your own parents or, you know, the grandparents. It's literally just you, you leave and cleave and you have your home and you're responsible before God. So you, you kind of set your household boundaries and what's safe and right. And, uh, you know, everyone else can kind of lump it a little bit. Uh, Paul? I was going to say, and this is something that my parents had taught me that has been helpful, was that not so much to focus on teaching, this sounds backwards, so bear with me for a second, but not so much focusing on respect authority, but rather focusing on showing honor and showing respect to others, and that authority is God-derived, 
but everyone should be honored as an image bearer, at least at, at, some, at some level. Um, so whether that be the homeless person on the side of the road or grandma and grandpa who don't love or, or obey or follow Christ or whatever the scenario might be, that if the focus is on showing honor and respect, it's, a, it's an easier conversation to have because then when, you know, Johnny's jumping on the couch or whatever, it's like you were not honoring them. Um, but then on the flip side, being able to talk with kids about authority is derived from God. So in as much as their authority aligns with the purposes of God and God's goodness and God's character, that it is good for you to obey them as you would obey God, but even in the midst of that, whether that be a government authority or whatever, that showing honor is right um, in as much as, as, as that's appropriate. And I know as a, as a child, I benefited from that. It was helpful for me um, to see that and to see, for instance, my dad being able to talk with someone who was homeless in the same way as he could talk to an executive in a company because he was just there to show them honor. Um, yeah, it was helpful. Good. All right, we're going to tackle one more question, um, but I'm going to table a couple of the longer ones. So be thinking on this for next week. We want to ask the question, at what age is a child defiant? What kind of actions reveal the self? So we'll think through that one next week, as well as if God is sovereign, why parent well? Uh, so how does the sovereignty of God... Uh, blend with our sense of responsibility as, uh, as parents. So those are a couple of big questions that we want to tackle next time um, and a few others. But I think we can hit this one in the last five minutes. I have a hard time saying no to what my child wants. Am I too nice? I was not raised with this kind of confusion, so... <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I'll just give you a few thoughts that the Clemens had put down here. They said, it's not that you're too nice. It's really a matter of being unloving. Um, God, the perfect parent, frequently says no, and we know he is not uh, unloving. He is love itself. Uh, Saying no is part of discipline, ties into some of these questions we've talked about already. Uh, and the caution is, if you're unwilling to tell your child no or kind of put them in their place, keep them in that, you know, a place of submission, um, then you may be betraying a desire to be liked by your child. And, you know, that, that's just never a good motivating factor for how we decide whether our children should or shouldn't do something. Uh, you could talk to them more. I just wanted to represent a few of those ideas um, hard time saying no. Are you too nice? Um, I would agree that I wouldn't use the word nice to describe that on a parent side. It isn't nice to, to not tell your children no. Certainly it's not too nice. It's, it's um, concerning. I was thinking of 1 Samuel 3, 12 and 13. That's the story of Eli. Uh, with his sons, and it does say, On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house forever, for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. He did not tell them no. Um, you shouldn't do that. So, and, and no, you know, you're telling a child no is in many different contexts. It's like, do I, can I have my fourth cookie? No. You know, it isn't necessarily wrong to have another cookie, although you are learning indulgence by having too many cookies or you know can I do this activity and it's questionable and do I tell my child no or not because I don't want to disappoint them but overall I think um, telling your child no uh, is is definitely in their best interest in many ways and and even if it's an innocent thing can I have a cookie they haven't had any all day and they've asked for one and you say no you have every right to tell your child no as, a, as an adult. And it creates, in some instances, when you're told no, you're, you find yourself in need. And often it's when we're in need that we turn to God and say, God, I need this. If every want I have is always supplied in abundance, I don't have any needs. 
Um, so, so even a, an innocent question, and you say no, it's, just provide, it's in that child making them feel like, well, I really wanted that, I'm disappointed, but it's, it's, a, it's a prod in a sense to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want and, and ask him for it. And eventually he may give it to you, but not that very minute. Um, any thoughts? Well, I think being nice is a disease in our culture. It's a, it's a pop word, be nice. It's on all the t-shirts, hats, purses, nice, 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 nice. But it's politically charged, and it's not necessarily biblically accurate. Um, no is your kindest thing. Um, I kind of want to just say, get tough, Mom. Have a, have a strong backbone. No is your friend. It's their friend. And tough isn't mean. Resilient. Have a plan. Put it into action. Be, but be tough. Um, there really isn't ever been a baby, a toddler, or a teen who comes to a home equipped to run a household. And yet many, many, many children have the burden on their shoulders that that's exactly what they're doing through their crying, through their remote control of the parents, whatever they want, they get it because they wah, and the parents run to them. They have the pressure of running a household, but they're not equipped to do it. So it's your job. It is critical. I was thinking Annie Sullivan with Helen Keller. She had it right. She took her away and taught her no first. And then she could tell her yes. And I think that's really good for our parenting. We have to ask ourselves, does God ever say no to us? He does. He says no to our sinful desires. And at times, he says no to what could be called our really good desires. Um, We just have to recognize that when God tells us no, it's rooted in this infinite wisdom, you know, that he has a a better plan. So he says no for a reason, because he knows there's a better way. We could say because he knows a better yes. Um, So in your parenting, recognize No is your friend. No is a beautiful word for boundary, for restraint, for teaching authority, for teaching about impulse and desire and self-control. But make sure your no is rooted in a a clearer yes. You know where you're going with your children because sometimes our no can just be lazy. You know, you really should put down your phone and go out and play with your kid or go on the bike ride with them. And and you're saying no, 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 because you're not a good parent. So no finds its value in a a clear plan and purpose. I know what I'm doing and that request doesn't doesn't fit. Uh, And so I can be the most loving by saying, no, we're not going to do that right now or no to the cookie, or no to playing ball, or no to the video game, or no to reading a book by yourself in your room. Um, I can say no to things that may even look good because I see a bigger picture. Uh, as Don said, you kinda, you're kind of you the one God has equipped to, to do that kind of oversight. Um, so help your children learn, equip them to be in your shoes one day, and, and they have to make the choice themselves. We try to teach our kids at home um, the definition of a parent, and we've done this in the youth group too, I guess. Some of you teens might remember. Uh, or an adult. An adult is somebody who is just a parent to themselves. They have learned how to say no to themselves at times. They, they parent themselves. You can't teach your kids to be an adult if you, if you don't use the word no. Um, and so don't be afraid of that. And you know, I guess I could tell you to ask my kids if they could even remember how many times in those early days you're saying no to your kids. Um, it, it doesn't get logged. It's not registered. All it is doing is, is defining in those earliest years uh, boundaries and such that will serve you and your parenting all through their teen years uh, when they learn what no means early on because you're doing it over and over and over again and you do feel like the... Uh, the mean parent, um, realize that they're not remembering all those no's. They're just learning. They're, they're feeling out those boundaries. You're helping them. 
And I guess I would just say be warned, your child will make you feel like a horrible parent. Uh, or if your child doesn't imply it, you yourself will feel that guilt. Um, but that's just a trick in the manipulation toolbox. Uh, guilt the parent into giving me what I want. Uh, and so they might cry, or you never do this, or last time you gave, let me do it, and that's what you're up against, and you know what that's like. So uh, say no because you have a clear purpose, uh, and you, that doesn't fit with it. Um, and just know that self-control is a beautiful discipline to learn, and ultimately by the help of the Holy Spirit, whose fruit is uh, self-control. So uh, say no is, is clearly a, a really solid, good biblical concept. Uh, don't let it become maligned by the devil that it's a bad thing. All right, any last questions or comments? All right. Father, would you just help us to keep learning and growing in this understanding of uh, our relationships? Not everyone here is relating to little ones as a parent. Um, And yet, uh, so much of what we're talking about even today has been rooted in this idea of honor uh, and respect and true biblical love for one another. Uh, So at the very least... At the very least, stir our hearts uh, to, to hear and live out Philippians 2, even in these next moments and throughout this day, uh, that we would set our own needs and burdens aside, knowing that you know what they are and you care for us, and now we're free to, to serve and to love others and to esteem them and, and to feel their burdens and to seek to help them. Uh, strengthen the parents in here who... Perhaps have heard some things in these last few weeks and, and are just overwhelmed. It just seems like it's such a hard task. Would you uh, give them grace to keep pressing on in what is right? Uh, give them eyes to see your fatherhood uh, in their lives and, and let them imitate that. And so uh, all of our children would be steered ultimately to your goodness, to your glory. Uh, we pray this in your name. Amen.